series of messages on the end times. And um, one of the things that we need to be, pay attention to in the end times is, is, uh, is offense. And what I mean by that is just being sort of mad at God for what he's doing in the end times. That's one way to put it, but I want to talk about offense in general. Where we've been, we've been talking about signs of the end times. How do we know, even know if the end times are upon us? We've talked about positive signs and negative signs. We've spent a little bit of time last time, uh, I think it was last time, maybe the time before that. It's been a theme um, because I, I'm just noticing that presence everywhere about dealing with the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. We talked about Revelation 12, where it talks about um, uh, salvation, power, and authority of Jesus coming when the accuser of the brethren gets thrown down. How does he get thrown down? Well, first of all, we recognize him in ourselves. We recognize that accuser and what he's doing in ourselves. We recognize what he's doing in others, and we pray against him. And then it says in Revelation 12, ultimately they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So when we start to testify, when we start to actually verbalize, first of all, notice the work of the accuser and verbalize against him, uh, he falls down, and I've said before, and I, it's still true, as I practice it, it is 100% effective, 100% effective. When you notice the accuser and you pray against the accuser and you say, I silence you in Jesus' name, it is 100% effective. It may take a few times, but it works ultimately every time. It's one of the few things uh, that I know that, that I can say that of, that at least in terms of my practice. Um, and so, uh, that, anyway, that's where, we're, where we've been. Where we're going is ultimately talking about uh, preparing ourselves for the coming days, which are basically already upon us. Um, but today I want to take a little um, bit of focus on this idea of offense. And this is based on, a lot of this is based on Mike Bickle's teaching, which he calls Loving Jesus Without Offense. He's talking about Matthew 11, which is the John the Baptist story, which we'll get to, but, uh, but I want to apply that also to, um, to our study. So um, let's turn to Matthew 24, because here in Matthew 24, Jesus is answering the question. Uh, his disciples come to him and say, um, when, uh, you know, Jesus says, I mean, first of all, the disciples are really impressed with the, with the temple. It's taken 40 years to build. It's a really amazing structure, and they can't help commenting on it, much like we might comment on a uh, major structure these days. And they um, and they they say, his disciples came up in verse 24, Matthew 24, verse 1. His disciples come up and point out the temple building to him, and he says to them, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, that's why they call this the Olivet Discourse. Um, and the disciples came to him privately and said, well, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming, and the end of the age? So we talked about the what, and we talked a little bit about the when. Um, and Jesus said to him, see to it that no one misleads you, and then he goes on to go verse after verse after verse about what they can expect in real time with the coming of the destruction of Jerusalem, but also ultimately when um, nation and ethnos rise up against nation and ethnos and there'll be earthquakes and there'll be a time of tribulation uh, such as never had occurred up to that point nor ever will again. They talk that Jesus is telling them that this will happen. That's why we know that, that the destruction of Jerusalem was a partial fulfillment of this but not the ultimate fulfillment. 
Anyway, then he gets to Matthew 24, 10. And he says, at that time, he's talking to his disciples, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Anybody have the King James Version? I, I can get it right now. I have a new King James. Yeah, read that. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. So that's... That's the basis of this idea that in the end times, and as the end times come, many will be offended. And the word there is, um, that I show in your notes, so I'm on, now I'm way down in, uh, uh, well, I'm in the first part of that notes there. It, it, all those squiggly letters are Greek letters, and that's scandalizo. Um, many will be uh, scan, in, in a state of scandalizo. They will be offended, um, and so, Let's talk about what offense is, uh, because we've talked about what accusation is. We know what accusation feels like, right? That, that's, the, that's the idea in your heart that about you personally, I don't measure up. I'm no good at this. I can't do this. There's no way I can. I, I, I'm going to fail. I feel like a total failure. In fact, the little bit of truth about me that I sinned just now has been expanded into a massive amount of theology. Basically, it defines my whole self. I will never amount to anything. I can't be anything. I can't even try. I don't even know why I'm continuing to do this. I might as well just give up. And that's that's the little bit of truth, yes, you sinned, expanded into a total characterization that the enemy wants you to believe, whispering into your ear. And that's why it works when you say, I, I, I uh, silence you, accuser. And that's why you'll also notice that you can see it in other people and you can see it in yourself. That person looks, that person just cut, cut me off. That person's a jerk. You know, on the road. I mean, uh, that's that's my daily experience. Because anyway. <laughs> uh, when they, you know, on the road, I, I have everybody figured out exactly. Uh, I, I can tell by the way they drive, obviously. And so, and, and so the spirit of accusation is in me going on, you know, against people on the road. And and uh, and lately, I have to discipline myself. And you know, you know, they they must be under a lot of pressure. God bless them. It's not easy. I don't do it all the time, but. But it's the, it's the second phase of accusation. Accusation against yourself, accusation against other people, accusation against the third one is God. And what they're talking about here is the offense against God. Um, so what is defense? In the dictionary, uh, it's talked about as annoyance or resentment against a perceived insult or a, and pay attention to this, a disregard for one's standards. So you'll notice, pay attention to the times when you get offended when, when you are offended or when somebody else is offended, you, it's typically because somebody has bumped against your uh, expectation of reality. When it's an insult to you, it's your expectation about, they, they don't realize how great I am. They don't realize how, what my pure intentions are in this, in this action. They don't realize that my intentions were pure and valid and right, and they are coming against this, or they don't realize that my, you know, that they don't realize who I am coming against that standard, and we do the same thing against against Jesus. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, a, so uh, what is offense? Little a, I, one, little a. Something that outrages the moral or physical senses, even the state of being insulted, uh, deliberately causing humiliation, hurt, or pride. It's interesting that, that uh, we call a traffic offense, you know, when you violate a law or a rule, meaning a standard that has been violated. And so there's the word, scandalizo, which 
um, originally in the Greek, uh, described a trap, a little, um, they take a branch, bend it down, so it's got some, it's got some potential energy there, they anchor it down, they tie a little uh, trap to it, and when the animal steps into the trap and springs a trap, the spring goes and, and you trap it, that's a, that's a scandalizo, that's a trap, uh, and, but in Jerusalem, and in Israel, where there's, there is rocks everywhere, they would talk about it as, well, there's a, there's a trap, there's a stumbling stone right there. That's, that's why Jesus says they stumbled over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over the, scan, the scandalizo. Um, so originally it meant to entrap, to stumble, to cause to stumble, to entice to sin. Um, and it, uh, it means to bring displeasure or to make indignant or to be displeased. So, so that's where it is. I have a friend, uh, a friend of my daughter's actually, who um, is is sort of offended with God right now, so much to the point where um, you know she and her husband have gotten divorced, and she's kind of waved off Christianity in general. Which I would say, you know, in, in those times, uh, her story is not over yet. But but she's in a, a state of just not really wanting to be. Um, in the camp of Christians right now, and and it has to do with Trump, it has to do with President Trump. So when she discovered that Christian, that many of her Christian friends were supporting Trump, she was offended. She uh, because you know by supporting him with his story and his his morality, the well publicized morality that he that the news talks about, having him win the election and his morality was was a violation of what she perceived to be uh, right, violation of her standards, remember. And so so she was uh, offended so much so that she couldn't stand to be around Christians and she basically proclaimed, if that's the way Christians believe, I don't want to be a part of that. She's saying in parentheses, because I am offended. I'm offended at God. If that's the way God is, if that really is true, the way God is operating, where he puts that man in office, etc., uh, then I am offended, and that, and that offense is going to actually do what offense always does, isolate me from the person who is bringing the offense. In this case, it was God. She's in that state right now. And, and it's interesting to me that that whole story is interesting to me because God's going to be doing things um, in the end times that we are not going to understand. That there are going to be, there are going to be actions and, and uh, um, outcomes, characteristics, you know, I want to say behaviors, but, but, uh, but situations that we, we don't get. You know, I, how, can, how can this be true and, and yet God be this way? And that's exactly what she was struggling with. So that, that's why I want to talk about it. It's going to be one of the major battlefronts of the end of the age. Number four, loving God with all of our heart requires that we overcome offense. So here's where we, here's where we start for A. One of the primary foundations of the kingdom of God is that, the, is that Jesus' leadership is good. In other words, he uses his power with perfect love and infallible wisdom. And understanding that foundational truth uh, fills us with trust and gratitude for his leadership. Easy to say, hard to do, but essential. Essential that we have that, that perspective. Because we're empowered to love him to the measure that we trust his and, and have his gratitude. Um, I mean, and express our gratitude to him. Um, what Satan wants is to hinder us from loving Jesus by accusing his leadership. You know, his leadership's not right. I mean, you know, did God really say in the Garden of Eden, did God really say 
that you know he's just hiding. He doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he's hiding his goodness from you. He doesn't want you to have all the goodness that he has. And if you just eat that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will you will actually benefit greatly. That's his strategy. He wants to convince us that God is not loving. He wants to convince us that God is not wise. Um, and we will be hindered to the degree that we are offended uh, by him. That's the story of my, of my friend. Um, she will be hindered to the degree that she proclaims her way is better. What, what is, what, well, uh, think to yourself and answer the question to yourself silently. What is the problem there? Why, why is she so messed up? And, and the answer you might come up with is, well, she's looking at other Christians for the source of, of the authority of the Lord, when in fact, it's the Lord. You've got to look at the Lord, and how he expresses himself through other people who, who say Christians may be completely different. Um, many, perceive, many sincere believers have an unperceived offense at Jesus' leadership, and it's the fact that it's unperceived that's the problem. It's the fact that you don't detect it. It's the same thing with accusation. The trick with accusation is not that it that it exists. If you look around a little bit in your life, you'll find out this exists everywhere. But the problem is di uh, discovering it, finding it, detecting it, and then dealing with it. Once you detect it, once it's exposed, it's pretty easy to deal with, and it works every time. But you've got to detect it. And the same thing with offense. Um, so one of the major battlefronts of the end of the age um, Take a look at some of these biblical characters um, at, who were offended by God and who they, how they responded. So um, I, I list here six of them. Uh, Cain, uh, as in Cain and Abel. Jonah, as in dude and a whale. Um, Abraham, Job, uh, David, and Mary. Um, all of them were offended at, at some level by God. So in Cain's case, uh, Cain... Cain is warned by God to conform to God's ways and pay attention to his countenance. So in Genesis 4, if you want to look that up, it says, Abel, his brother, was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Cain, Cain grew crops. Abel uh, was a keeper of the, of the, of the flocks, of sheep, etc. And so it came about that in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Worked hard for this fruit, grew it, he brings it up, first fruits out of the ground, and so he produces this crop um, that he's pretty pleased with. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord, verse 4, had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. This is out of the New American Standard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. What happened there? Well, he, he's offended. He brings an offering that he worked hard to produce, he wants to bring it to the Lord. He offers it up to him. And God does not have regard for that to the same degree that he has regard for Abel's offering and for the, the animal whose blood is shed in sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you. And you've got to master it. Cain, right here, right now, you have got to deal with this offense. Because right now, it's ready to just take you over. Mm -hmm. And Cain tells Abel, his brother, what happened. Hey, I met with the Lord. Here's what he told me. And then what happens? Cain's about when they were in the field. Cain let the 
sin that was crashing at the door overtake him, and he kills his brother. Cain was offended. Um, did, did he know that he was offended? I would submit no. Not until the Lord came and told him. I don't think he was aware that he was in, he was under the cloud of offense at that point. Um, God tells him, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Your, your facial expression, why is your facial expression so distressed? You know, your, your shoulders are slumped and you're walking around kicking the dog and you don't even have a dog and you're kicking rocks and things like that. You're, you're mad and the Lord said you were angry um, and your countenance has fallen. Um, so now let's look at John the Baptist. This is a story that, that uh, is really interesting to me. John the Baptist, um, Jesus warns his disciples not to be offended at his leadership in John's life. Um, and so many are offended at Jesus both for what he does and for what he doesn't do and what he allows. So in, in Matthew 11, 2, John hears in prison about the works of Christ and he sends two of his disciples and says to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? You know the story of John the Baptist, right? He's the he's son of, of Elizabeth and Zacharias. He's a cousin of Jesus, born some nine months ahead of Jesus. And he uh, is a Nazarite. And he is leading, his ministry is the ministry of, of repentance down in the Jordan. And he's very famous, so famous in fact that when, when uh, Jesus asks his disciples, who are people saying that I am? At that point, John the Baptist had been killed. And his disciples say, well, some think that you're John the Baptist. You know, some think that you're that famous. You are that well known that you're John the Baptist. And Jesus goes, oh, well, who do you say that? And that's when Peter makes his great confession. But um, John had heard about the uh, works of Christ, and he sends two of his disciples, and he says to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus says, go and tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind see. The lame, people who couldn't walk, they can walk. The lepers with the skin disease are cleansed, and the deaf can hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he says, and blessed is he, tell, tell John this, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Um, Jesus affirms John the Baptist, and he sets him forth as a model of spiritual violence. Um, and so Jesus goes on to say to his disciples um, concerning John, where did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a weed shaken by the wind? Did you go out to see, in other words, a man who might waver under the pressure of, of all that notoriety? Did you go out to see somebody clothed in soft garments? That is, did you go out to see somebody who was going to be seeking comfort? Because I'm telling you this, among the, all the people who were born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, and even until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence takes by force. So we asked with Cain, we asked, who, who told Cain? Did Cain know that he was offended? I would say, I don't think so. What about John? What about John the Baptist? Did he know that he was offended? What do you think? No? Didn't know? Well, he was offended with what? With Jesus. Why? Jesus says, blessed is he, you're asking this, John is asking, Jesus is talking to the two disciples who were sent by John in prison. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell you the story about John. John's in prison, 
uh, at that point because Herod arrested him. And Herod is going to behead him in just a couple of days. John the Baptist is going to have his head cut off. And that's because John the Baptist was saying, Herod, you are married to your brother's wife. You can, that cannot happen. And Herod didn't like it, but he couldn't do anything about it. Unfortunately, the brother's wife's daughter did a very provocative dance that Herod loved. And he said, that is such an amazing dance, and I am so influenced by that dance that I will give you everything that you want, anything you want, up to half your kingdom. The dancing girl goes and talks to her mom, says, what should I ask for? The mom is mad at Herod because, I mean, at uh, John the Baptist, because he's been talking, he's been bad-mouthing her about leaving her own husband going to Herod. So she goes, oh, for crying out loud, what an offer. Go tell him we want John the Baptist's head. And Herod made that proclamation in front of a party. He couldn't back off, so he had to do it. And, that, and so John is in prison, knowing that he's in trouble, knowing his, maybe even knowing he's about to be headed. Maybe that's being noised about, so talked about in, in, the, in prison. And he sends his two disciples, and he says, this isn't the way that I expected things to happen, basically. Jesus, I, I'm surprised that I'm in prison, and I'm surprised that, that word of my death is, is being talked about. Are you the coming one, or should these disciples of mine look for somebody else? And Jesus says, blind here, the, eye, the, the blind, <laughs> blind who here, the blind even see. <laughs> the deaf hear, the dead are raised, go tell John the Baptist, blessed is he who is not offended in me. So the question is, did John know that he was offended? <laughs> I, I would say he had a suspicion. And that's why I think he's different than Cain. Because he goes and tells his disciples, I'm confused. I just don't know. He tells his disciples, go, go ask him this question. Because this just has not worked out the way that I thought. I thought it was going to be, you know, me leading to, you know, honoring the coming one of Jesus and us two rising up and seeing the kingdom come. This is not how I expected this to go. Would you go and ask him, are you the coming one or is there somebody else? Because I'm not quite sure. And, and I would submit to you that, that that perspective is worlds different than Cain's perspective. Because he had suspicion. I'm wondering, I'm confused. And, and God will accept our confusion. Look how, gen how gentle Jesus is in dealing with, with John the Baptist. I hear your questions. I know you're confused. Um, and yet, you're on the right track. I'm the one. The blind see. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And by the way, blessed is he who doesn't, who doesn't get offended at me because of, the, of my ways that don't match up with what he expects. That, that's, what John's try, that's what Jesus is trying to say. And, and I just see a major progression here from, from Cain uh, to, to uh, the way that John handled that. And then I see a major progression from the way that John handled that to the way Mary handled that. Mary's perplexed. Let's look at Luke 1, 27 through 37, where she, as a young, perhaps even as young as 14, uh, woman, virgin, never been with a man before, betrothed to Joseph, she gets this greeting from an angel. Greetings, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering what kind of citation this was. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. And behold, 
you are going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? Mary asks a question, right? How can this be, since I am a virgin? I've not known a man. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Here's the answer to your question, Mary. The angel, the uh, Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And for that reason, that child will become the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing, so maybe they were six months separated, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, of the Lord behold, the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Who told Mary that she was offended? Nobody, because there was no need. She wasn't offended. <laughs> she, she, has a question, how mechanically, how is this actually gonna work? Um, and her question gets answered, and she's like, I hear that those are your ways, Lord, but one thing I know about you is you are good, and your loving kindness is perfect. And so whatever ways you wanna use, I'm your servant. Yeah. And that's, that's the secret of dealing with offense. Um, Jesus offends our mind, with his ways to reveal our heart and cause our hunger to grow to bring those things to the surface so they can be healed. Um, there's a special blessing, number E, in trusting Jesus' leadership before we see the final outcome of the situation. And this is the only time in history that we talk in, in the prayer room about, about the fact that there are certain things that we can only do at this particular time in history. One of them, Amy and I were talking about this before, is is giving praise to the Lord in the night watch because there's going to come a day when there ain't going to be no more night. You can't praise him in the night watch because people are going to talk about the night watch and turn it and people are like, what is that? Well, you know, it's a time when there was no light. What are you talking about? There's no such thing. There's always been light. No, there was a time when the, when the lights would go out, when, when people would rest, when it would be dark, and, and we praise him in the night watch. And that's a unique time in history when you can do that. Same thing here. There is a particular time um, when we can trust Jesus' leadership before we see what the outcome is. It's the only time in history when we can do that. That's why Jesus says to Thomas, uh, when Thomas says, you know, unless I see who he is and put my hands in his, and holes in his hands, I'm not going to believe. Thomas goes, okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. Go ahead and, and touch and, and see that it's me. But Thomas, know this. Um, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have still believed. So, our, so I want to talk about our, our perspective and our confession. Our perspective is that abounding love overcomes all offense. Um, we pray that our love would abound and we set our heart to confront all offense in our heart. Now, that, those words, what that means is that we ask the Lord to expose unrevealed offense in our heart. But we have this confession, part B, and the confession is this. The Lord is good, and his mercy and loving kindness endure forever. Period. That's, that's the rock. We stand on that rock, right? The Lord is good, and his mercy and his loving kindness endures forever. Everything is going to militate against that. Everything is going to war against that perspective. We're going to see the fact that, that in my friend's case, 
a president got in office that she did not expect and she does not approve of. And so that militates against her perspective that the Lord is good. Her conclusion, Trump's in office, the Lord must not be good. And so she dismisses Christianity, or she dismisses following the Lord temporarily, in my, in my opinion. She'll, she'll come back. But uh, temporarily because of the Lord's ways, not because of the Lord's character. And so the Lord's ways are going to be confusing to us. Uh, and we're, we're going to put your, put your thumb in Romans 11, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute. Um, but we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Um, and that's why we declare Jesus worthy of our unqualified trust and our sacrificial obedience. Oh, so uh, I got ahead of myself. Um, there's, there's three times when this recurring song comes about, and, and it's a song that gets sung and sung and sung. And it has to do with the Lord being good and his loving kindness lasting forever. The first time is when the Temple of David gets dedicated in 1 Chronicles um, 16.34. Um, David is dedicating the temple, and, uh, and he's going through the long... Uh, brings the ark to God, he places it inside the, the tabernacle, excuse me, that he pitched for it, and he uh, finishes the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, and he gives everybody in Israel a raisin cake, a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raisin cake. Um, I really like raisins, that would have been a good day for me. <laughs> he appointed some of the Levites as ministers in the ark of the Lord, and they celebrate and thank and praise God. And Asaph, the great musician, was, wrote a song, and on that day, verse 7, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to thank the Lord. And they go from verse 8 <clears throat> all the way down to verse um, uh, 36, but in 34, um, he, he shouts out, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. That's the phrase. That's the phrase that David said. Solomon says the same thing in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And interestingly, Jehoshaphat uh, prophetically sings this Armageddon campaign in 2 Chronicles verse 20 um, when he sings it exactly the same phrase, exactly the same phrase, um, 2021. Uh, when he consult, uh, Jehoshaphat rises. Um, uh, Jehoshaphat rises in verse 20 and says to me, listen to, you, listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And he appoints those who sing to the Lord and they sing this verse. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Right there is that phrase, we thank you, God, because you are good and your loving kindness is not everlasting is the phrase that gets you through when you are confused about the Lord's ways. When you detect offense in your heart, that is the antidote. Tattoo that on your arm. Yeah, that's a good tattoo to get. Give thanks to the Lord because his loving kindness is everlasting. You know, and refer to that when, when times of offense are, are very prominent because that's, that's what Moses asked. Remember the, the most again, one of the most profound understandings that I've ever had is the understanding of, of Moses asking, you've given me an enormous task here, God. Who are you? How can I tell who, them who you are? Show me your ways. And, Mo, and God says, okay, I will do that. I'll show you who I am. 
And at this point, the God in the universe, who is the creator God, can show himself to Moses in any form that he wants. He can show him like God is so often displayed in the movies as some, some horrific, terrible force that is so scary or so unknowable that he can't even be known. He could have showed him as somebody who has such a high expectation of rules and standards that nobody can possibly fill it, and Moses would have been appropriately, and he would be right, by the way, and, he, and Moses would be appropriately, you know, in the cleft of the rock, just scared to death. And Moses, in, in what God does, instead of showing himself as this terrible ogre, or as this terrible legalistic God, he comes through and he proclaims who he is. The Lord, the Lord, abounding in love. That's who I am, Moses. I am the Lord abounding in love. I'm abounding in loving kindness. I am abounding in patience. That's who I am. And Moses was transformed. And I encourage you to read through that until you are transformed, where you get the sense that it doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter how I'm treated. The Lord God is loving. He is kind. He is abounding in love. I can't believe that I get to be his. And that is who he is. And so as things unfold in the end times, that's what we proclaim. That is the answer to offense against God. You might be asking, what is the answer to offense from one person to another? Much the same. Much the same in terms of, of thinking to yourself, I am experiencing their behavior, but inside, in the core of that person, I've got to find the core that says that they, that they are created in God's image. I've got to find the thing that's made in God's image. I've got to call that out. What's, this, what's the thing about, about raising parents that we hope to bring out tomorrow? Same thing, finding your kids the thing that's made in God's image and start to call that out, those positive elements of calling that out and, and be on the hunt for them when they show up so that you know them when they appear. Um, so, uh, I think that's, I want to get to a verse that we're going to sing through. Um, um, but when, when the when the end times start to happen, when, our, when the signs of the end times happen, and we start to get nervous about God, is this really God's ways? There are things in Revelation that are frightening. Large percentages of the earth done away with, large portions of the earth um, destroyed. And there's going to be every reason for us to be offended at the way that God, the ways of God at that point. Um, what we do is we say, in verse, like they said in verse five, in verse five, when they first start to break the seals, they don't say, "Who are you, God, and what are you doing? Are you are you crazy or destroying everything you made?" They say, "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and glory." And later in, in Revelation 15, when all the all the things are happening, those who have victory over the beast, they say, "Great and marvelous are your works, your ways, the things that you're doing." are right. Your judgments have been manifested. And um, in Revelation 12, we're going to say to ourselves and to the Lord, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and his authority have come because the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. The accuser who accuses them before our God day and night and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they didn't love their life even when faced with death. Romans 11.33, that's why Paul is beside himself when he's talking about the Jews 
Did the Jews transgress so as to be completely disqualified from the kingdom? Paul takes three chapters to say, you know, 9, 10, 11 in Romans, to say, no, not, not true at all. And here's why. Number one, number two, number three. That's why our relationship to the Jewish people, as we talked about here before in end times, is going to be key. We, uh, we are going to be good friends with them. And at the end, Paul says, when he's talking to a bunch of Romans whose mouths are hanging open because they can't believe that that's what Paul just said, Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Because from him and through him and to him are all things. We don't know his ways. We know his character. That's how we, that's how we end up in the end time. So turn to that last page there in Song of Songs. Our last offended person here is the Shulamite woman in Song of Songs. And uh, we're going to sing through this, yes, if you wouldn't mind, um, uh, and worship team. Um, Song of Songs, verse 5. Oh, here, how are you doing? Okay. Um, I arose to my beloved, and my hands drooped with myrrh. My fingers were liquid myrrh, my handles were uh, on the handles of the bowl, and I opened to my beloved. My woman wants the beloved to come in. But, verse 6, my beloved had turned away and had gone. My heart went out to him as he spoke. I searched for him, I didn't find him. I called for him, he didn't answer to me. She's got every reason to be offended right now. She's calling out to God, and God is not answering her. This is, I mean, consider the Shulamite woman to be the analogy of the church or the analogy to you. And you're reaching out to, to uh, the beloved, who is Jesus, the analogist to Jesus. Number seven, the watchman who makes the rounds of the city found me. They struck me and wounded me. And the guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from, from me. And so she's getting abused at night by herself, a woman alone at night in the streets by a watchman. She's getting hurt and wounded. And she has every reason to be offended here by the ways of the Lord. And what she says is, I adjure you. I mean, I'm, I am begging you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, Tell him this. Tell him I am lovesick. Even though she's been abused, even though he's for, he's for, apparently it seems to her like he's forsaken her. And they say, well, what kind of beloved is your beloved, oh, most beautiful woman? What kind of beloved is your beloved that you would adjure us this? And she goes in and she takes one, two, three, four, five, six passages to talk about how awesome her beloved is, even though she is in the midst of Situation that would cause her to be offended. This is this is our story right here. This is this is the this is where we want to be. We're so in love with the beloved that we love him regardless, and we just say, "Your ways are mysterious to me, but I truly love you, and I know you love me." So we'll sing that through. Um, and